We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tonight. Last time I was in Ecclesiastes up here on a Thursday was February, so I'm going to have to do a little bit of background just to get us caught up. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, son of King David. He's also the writer of Proverbs and Song of Solomon. At a certain time in Solomon's life, God asked him if he could have one thing, what would it be? And he asked for wisdom. So instead of asking for something frivolous, riches or wealth or, or anything, anything carnal, the Lord blessed him, and he gave him the wisdom that he asked for, and he also gave him the riches to bless him extra. He had more of both uh, wisdom and riches than any other person before or after him. He was the richest man and the wisest man to ever have lived. In today's dollars, counting for inflation and things like that, he would be worth $2.1 trillion. Um, He had every luxury in the world available to him. He had palaces, he had vineyards, farms, entertainers, servants, exotic pets, decadent food. He had the highest fashion. He had women. He was a ladies' man, and it it didn't work out very well for him. Um, As we know from the scriptures, the Lord only intended us to have one spouse, not to have dozens or even, in his case, hundreds of wives and concubines. He had 300 concubines. He had 700 wives of royal blood from other countries. He started out well as king, building altars to the Lord, making thousands of sacrifices, serving the Lord like his dad did. He built the temple. As he acquired all these wives from other lands, from other royal bloods, they came with their own gods, with false gods. And um, Solomon started building altars for all of them to keep all of them happy, and he started to stray further and further from the Lord. In this book, written in his old age, he's looking back at his life. He reflects on the vanity of, of things that we tend to pursue here under the sun. Those are both vanity and under the sun are terms seen throughout this book. Um, And really, it's just a life apart from God. The things we try to find satisfaction in, the things that we try to fill the God-shaped hole in our hearts with. um, We also see him reflect on tragedies that he's seen and the hopelessness that that you can feel observing the world around you. Um, In previous uh, chapters, we see him essentially go on a roller coaster ride over bitter regret for his mistakes and the, the, the vanity of his life, and then he, he'll come to moments of clarity and make a lot of sense and point us to the Lord. Um, speaking on, in many occasions, finding the satisfaction in pleasure and in wine and in entertainment and work and hobbies and possessions. We see him talk about the oppression and the tragedy. We see him speak hopelessly about it all. At times, we see him speak of contentment with what God has blessed us with. Um, Jumping into chapter 5, he starts with a very profound point. After discussing all the vanity and tragedy and all the horrible experiences, he now drives us to the Lord. Um, If you were with us last time, I did about an hour on verse 1. So I'm only going to glance over it this time, and we're going to get verses 1 through 7. I wanted to get the whole chapter again, but clearly I'm incapable of doing an entire chapter. Um, But as he points us to the Lord, Matthew Henry, a great commentator, would explain it like this. And I'm going to paraphrase Matthew Henry. He says, Let our disappointments in the creature 
turn our eyes to the creator. Let us look to the word of God's grace and consult that. Let us look to the throne of his grace and seek that. In the word and in prayer, there is a balm for every wound. Is everyone else hot? No? Okay. I was going to have the thermostat be turned down, but never mind. It's, yeah, it's, I guess it's the lights. Um, in verse 1, he says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. And we really, really, really opened this verse up last time, so I'm just going to go right through and just kind of summarize everything we went through. You know, to walk prudently, he's telling us to behave accordingly when we're here, to take care of why we're here. We're in the Lord's house. Um, we're, we ask the question, why are we here? What are our intentions for being here? What should be our focus while we're here? Um, are you here really without really wanting to be, maybe trying to impress a spouse or like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or the crush from work? Are you here because, you know, you're an old-fashioned American and that's just what Americans are supposed to do? We're, we're a Christian country and you, you just go to church and none, nothing else matters. And are, are you here to feel good about yourself or to feel righteous? Are you here because you think maybe just coming in the door is how you get to heaven? I hope that all of us here in this room and anyone else that's listening, I hope that when you go to church that you're there for worshiping the Lord and getting the word of the Lord because that's the reason that we really need to be here. That's the reason that we come here. That's the reason that this building exists. He's telling us to listen, to pay attention, to listen to what the Lord has to say. Put down your cell phone. Stop chatting to the person next to you while the Lord's trying to speak. Stop daydreaming about lunch or work tomorrow or the problems that you left at the door. I hope you left your problems at the door because we're here to focus on the Lord. The Hebrew word for hear that he uses has a double force. It doesn't just mean to hear. It means to pay attention and to obey, to apply to your life. We have a great and an awesome Lord. He inspired every author in this book to write what they wrote for us. It's the divine word of God for us. It's God's way for us to live, to apply our life. His ways are better than ours. He knows better. He's got a plan. He cares about us. He knows what's best for us. And if you don't believe that, then I ask the question again, why are you here? Listen and obey. Apply the scriptures to your life. It's direct instruction from Jesus Christ. Draw near and hear, he says. Listen and obey rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. What are the sacrifices of fools? There's a few different examples of sacrifices of fools. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices... The, the traditions eventually became routine. They became ceremonial. They became thoughtless. They built their society around these rituals and uh, essentially made the law and the need to sacrifice their God. That was what they were doing, and that was all they were doing. This is something we see Jesus constantly bringing to light in the Gospels. We cannot rest on routine. We cannot rest on ritual. We cannot rest on jumping through the hoops for our salvation. Only through a relationship with Jesus Christ can we have eternal salvation? Can we have that, that true grace, that, e that eternal life? Part of that relationship is putting down ourselves and following him, hearing him and obeying him when he speaks to us. A full sacrifice was in 1 Samuel 15, King Saul had to defeat the Amalekites. God said, take them all out, all their animals, all their soldiers, everybody. He left the king alive, and he kept, like, the really, really choice cattle and livestock alive. And when he was confronted 
by Samuel the prophet, he said, well, we, we kept the good ones to sacrifice to God. And Samuel told him, the Lord doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your obedience. It was a full sacrifice. He thought doing this, this frivolous action would make up for obedience to the Lord, for listening to the Lord. I say again, listen and obey. If you're coming to church and going through the routines and the rituals, but you don't have your heart set on truly connecting with the Lord, on worshiping the Lord, on listening to the Lord, obeying the Lord, but you're putting your faith in those rituals, I would really encourage you to read, seek the Lord, pray, and strengthen your relationship with Jesus and, and evaluate the things you're doing and why. Why do we do these things? Why, why were these rituals started in the first place? They're meant to glorify and worship the Lord, not to be an, another step to check off. Another form of a full sacrifice is not giving the Lord your best. In the Old Testament, uh, another example of the full sacrifice would be God wanted the firstborn of your flock. He wanted your first fruits. And if you gave him the sick and dying animals or the, the bruised tomato, uh, that, that wasn't giving the Lord your best. These were full sacrifices. Again, it was, just, it was just fulfilling the function. It was fulfilling the ritual. When we come to church, are we giving the Lord our best? When we worship him, when we sing those songs, are we just singing out loud? Or are we connecting with him? Are we singing like he's right on this stage in front of us, in this room with us, here to speak to us? The all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving, righteous, gracious, long-suffering Savior of us all is who we're here to worship. And we need to worship him like that's who we're worshiping. We're not just singing to the screen or to Aaron on Sundays. Um, praise him like you believe that he's worthy of your praise because he is. Give the Lord your best. Another form of a full sacrifice, living lives that completely ignore the commands of God, living blatantly and willingly in sin. Hard, disrespectful, ignoring the Lord. Just saying, I'm going to live my life however I want, and then I'm going to come in here and just act like it's all cool. In Isaiah, the Lord spoke to Israel about these sort of things. He said he didn't want their sacrifices or their prayers anymore because their hands were covered in blood. Their, their sins were distancing themselves from the Lord. The, the, the rituals weren't covering any of that ground anymore. Some of these sins that we, we see then and that we still see now are sexual immorality, violence, idolatry, just to name a few. And then they came to the temple and they made their sacrifice and everything was good. We, we can live lives like that. We, we can live totally out of step with what the Lord's calling us to do and knowing it. And I'm not talking about the person struggling in, in sexual immorality, trying to break free, but they're, they're, they're in bondage to their sin, or the person who's trying to, to break free from an addiction, but they're just held so tightly, they're so ensnared by it, that they, they're, they're struggling to get out of it, but they feel that repentance, they feel that pain it's it painting them i'm not talking about those people i'm talking about the people who find joy in the sin and then come and just act like everything is peaches and cream because they walked in the door sadly because of a lack of application of the scriptures in a lot of people's lives and, and in some places the way that people are taught the scriptures the way that the scriptures are, are given to them most people don't even realize that they're doing evil, that they're giving a full sacrifice because they think that 
coming in the door or, or praying a certain way or kneeling now and standing then and these things we do, these rituals we've made for ourselves are what is saving them and they're good when their lives show no fruit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't misunderstand me, none of us are perfect by any means, but there, there are lives that have fruit and there are lives that don't. <clears throat> so draw near and listen to what the Lord has to say and apply it to your life. Oftentimes there's something specific that we do, that a lot of us do, probably all of us do it, uh, that gets in the way of us hearing, and that is us speaking. Uh, I used to talk a lot, and I still do, but the Lord has dialed it back to, you know, about a thousand words a minute from like three or four thousand words a minute. I, I, I used to just really talk until people wanted to pull their ears off. Um, in verse 2 and 3, he says, Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before the Lord. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. Ecclesiastes is full of some hard truths, guys. You better like put some helmets on or something. <laughs> Keeping in step with the why are we here that we started in verse 1 and that we really, really, really opened up last time I taught this. Think twice before you speak when you're in this building. I mean, in life in general, but especially in this building, in the Lord's presence, both to people and to God. Focus your thoughts. Focus your words. Pay attention to what you're saying and to what you're thinking. It's easy to let our tongue get ahead of our minds. We can talk too much. When we come in these doors... When we come in these doors, our focus needs to be on the Lord. If our personal business has become our main focus while we're here, our mind isn't in the right place. We can end up saying something we shouldn't out of emotion or stress or excitement. We can speak rashly without thinking. Our priority here should be to listen. And the Living Bible, which is a paraphrase translation, um, kind of makes it easier to, to understand certain things. Uh, I wouldn't take it for a lot of doctrine, but I like the way that it worded verses 1 and 2, and to paraphrase the paraphrase, it pretty much says shut up and listen. <laughs> we are here to worship the Lord, to hear from the Lord, not to have social club, not to gossip, not to talk about things of the world. It's fine to talk with your friends, about life and, you know, catch up with each other. We're, we're the body of Christ. We're family here. We're supposed to exhort each other, to encourage each other, to, to be involved with each other, to be by each, by each other's sides. But where is your heart set? Why are you here? Where do those conversations take precedence over why you're here? If your friend is, you know, having a tough time, don't make it all about how bad everything is and, and talking of the things of the world and, and these things that are taking focus from the Lord and Point this person and yourself back to the Lord. He's the solution for all those problems anyway. He's bigger than all of that anyway. We could very easily draw someone's mind towards us and our problems or our blessings rather than what the Lord may want to say to them. I can, I can count several times where I'll have a conversation with someone before and then through service, I'm like, man, you know, that's really terrible, and I'll start praying about that. And not that we shouldn't pray for them, but I, I, I 
my mind is elsewhere than what the Lord is saying. And the same could happen with blessings. Sometimes people are in a rough spot. They don't need to hear how great you're doing when they don't feel like they're doing that great, and that can put their mind elsewhere too. We need to think before we speak. We could accidentally hurt somebody. We could stumble somebody. Our words have more impact than we realize sometimes. It would be a tragedy if something that we said rashly, without thinking, stumbled a new believer so badly that they walked away and they never came back in this building again. I praise the Lord that that didn't happen to me. When I walked in these doors, it would have been really easy for someone to tell me, your eyes are really red and you're dressed like a slob and I don't really think you should be here. I think you need to have some more respect for the Lord. And then I would have never come back. But luckily, I came into Calvary Chapel, Cumberland, and nice people welcomed me with open arms, and it helped. No one stumbled me. No one spoke rashly towards me. We need to have reverence in perspective while we're here. We should always think before we speak anywhere. Our witness is important. Our witness is one of the most important things that we can do with our actions, with our words, with the way we carry ourselves. But this is the one place we specifically go every week, or maybe twice a week, or if some of us, we live here. Um, But we come here specifically to hear the Lord and to worship the Lord. Hopefully we make time for those things also in our personal life. It doesn't just have to happen here, but this is why we come here. You know, we uphold our Christian witness with our behavior and our speech in the world and in the workplace. We want to be good Christians. We want to be Christ-minded in the workplace, but work is for work. We can minister while we're there. We can be good examples while we're there, but work is for work, not for singing and worshiping. We come here for that. Home. We can worship the Lord from home. We can, we can get the word from home. We can, we can be Christ-minded at home. I hope we are. I hope the parents, the kids, and the families are all being Christ-minded and treating each other like Christians. But home is multifunctional. You're cooking, you're cleaning, you're sleeping. This is the one place that we go that is specifically designed to put everything else aside and come here and hear the word of God and listen and worship, give God our best, like I said. To be in the presence of God. We're here to meet up with God. We're not here to meet up with Skeeter and Bill Bob and Charlene and Cassandra and talk about all the woes and things of the world. What we say before the Lord matters, it matters in our thoughts and in our prayers, verbally and internally. He says, let not your heart utter hastily before the Lord. You know our thoughts are words to the Lord. We may not say it out loud, Christ talks about it. You, you think of hatred towards someone in your, in your heart. You murdered them. Our hearts are seen by the Lord. Those are words. Our thoughts are words. If we're sitting here in this place when we're supposed to th- be focused on the Lord and our, our heart are saying these hasty things, jealous thoughts, angry thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, even like insincere prayers, these are all words. This is, this is rash. This is hasty speech that the Lord can hear coming straight out of our hearts. Our minds, our thoughts are like wild dogs. 
We have to keep them caged up or they will run wild. We need to think before we speak, but we also need to think before we think sometimes. We can let our thoughts just go and go and go. And it takes some training. You, you, we got to teach ourselves sometimes to start to take our thoughts captive. You put that dog in the cage, but you got, you got to teach that dog not to dig out from under the cage too. We need to learn to not cross the, cross the boundaries we've made for ourselves and allow our thoughts to start speaking hastily in the Lord's presence. Like, where, where's your heart while you're here? If you're walking up and you're hangry and someone grabs the last cookie off the tray and you find yourself praying the prayer of David, Lord, smash their teeth. You, you, your mind is on the cookie, not on the Lord. Where's your focus? Revere the Lord while you're here. If you're looking across at Bill Bob and Bill Bob's got a new speedboat and you're behind two months on your mortgage and you're coveting what Bill Bob has and you're, you're thinking ill will towards Bill Bob, why don't I have a speedboat? Bill Bob has a speedboat and you're, you're coveting, you're jealous. When you're here, you're supposed to be thinking and focusing on the Lord. You're speaking these perverse things from your heart in the Lord's presence. Where is your focus? Revere the Lord while you're here. That sounded weird. My tongue rolled or something. And a, let's say an attractive member of the opposite sex walks by and your mind starts to wonder. You do that double take or something inappropriate like that. Where's your focus? You just had an incredibly inappropriate thought cross your mind in the place of the Lord, in the Lord's presence. He heard those words in your heart. Revere the Lord while you're here. In verse 6, we're not there yet. He says, don't allow your mouth to make you a sinner. Don't allow your mind to make you a sinner. Ever, but especially when we're here, when we set apart this time to focus on him, to look to him, to hear from him, and to worship him. That is this, what this place is for. Another area that this applies, the, the, the speaking rash and hastily, is in our prayers. Don't pray with insincerity just to be heard. In Israel, they have the wailing wall. I've never been, but I've heard stories. These rabbis will go up, and they, it's called the wailing wall because they go put their hand on the wall, and they scream their prayers. In the Bible, it talks about not praying out loud in the street market for all to hear, like the priests and the rabbis. If you're praying at a prayer group or in a circle, don't keep rambling on and on and on and on just because you think you sound more spiritual. Just because you think you have to or your prayer's not good. That's vanity. That, that's insincerity. Have you ever heard someone pray in Old English? O holiest Lord, I revere thee with thou utmost. Revealest unto thee thy will, Lord. That's not how we speak. That is insincerity. That's not a real prayer. That, that's this attention-grabbing thing. Pray with sincerity from the heart, in spirit, and in truth, not in self-righteousness, not in piety. I don't want to say all long prayers are bad. There's a line, and some people pray beautiful, sincere, heartfelt, spirit-led prayers, and they pray longer than others. They pray longer than me. I'm a short, to-the-point kind of guy. Some say very brief prayers. Chuck Smith said very brief prayers a lot of the time. But because you speak a brief prayer doesn't mean your prayer is less important than that person with that beautiful long prayer or the person praying in Old English. Your prayer doesn't have any less oomph to it. It's not any less 
heard by the Lord, if it's short and brief, so long as it's sincere and it's true and it's from the heart. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah prayed a very short and sweet and full of faith prayer, and God answered those prayers. I'm not going to read that story to you because I don't want to run out of time. But we have to keep in mind that we don't want to do it for appearance. We don't want to just look good. We, we got to have that truth, that sincerity of heart. And the Lord knows. J. Edward Orr used to advise brief, earnest prayers, especially in prayer meetings. He said that when one prays in a meeting, for his first three minutes, everyone prays with him. Should he continue a second three minutes, everyone prays for him. Should he continue for a third three minutes, then others start to pray against him. <laughs> it's not the length or the volume of your prayers that have the most power, but it's the weight, it's the sincerity, it's the spirit and the, the truth of those prayers that, that really has the effect, that really makes the difference. And the same goes for silent prayers. We can, fi- we can pray for things that we don't really want, that we don't mean, because we think maybe the Lord wants to hear it from us or something, but he knows. And I, I can't really give any distinct examples, but I know that there's been things that we've prayed for, you know, that we don't really want. It's not, the, the Lord doesn't want our lies. He doesn't want our insincerity. It says, a fool's voice is known by his many words. Another area where talking can get us in trouble is making vows to the Lord and to people. In verse 4, it says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools, but what you pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity, but fear God. It is easy to make promises to others and to the Lord out of impulse, out of emotion, out of our flesh, and often we can't keep them. When we make these promises to the Lord, these vows to the Lord, a lot of times they're bargaining chips. Lord, get me out of this DUI, and I swear I will never drink again. You know how that went for me? A week before my court case for my DUI, I got pulled over for another DUI. These vows we make don't work. For those of you who don't know, I'm I'm a clean and sober uh, recovered addict now. I'm no longer an addict. Uh, anyone watching. I don't get DUIs still. Um, (laughs) You know, Lord, help me get this better job, and I swear to you, Lord, I will tithe twice as much. And then you have a baby, and your expenses double, and you can't keep that promise to the Lord because you made it in emotion and impulse and out of your flesh. The, the way they talk about paying your vows here isn't just monetary. It applies to holding up to anything that we vow to the Lord, regardless of it, whether it's financial or otherwise. By making such vows, we put a lot of stock in our own flesh and in our own abilities. Lord, I swear I'll be better. I'll do better. I swear I'll never do that again. I'll be perfect for, me, for you from now on, God. Peter vowed not to deny the Lord. He was even willing 
to cut someone's ear off to prove that he would not deny the Lord. But that was all in the flesh. That was all early on. Whoa, I just hit the wrong scroll button. Bear with me one second. I hit that button that makes it shoot back to the top. Peter even cut off a soldier's ear to defend the Lord, to try and reinforce that vow that he made in his flesh. But when the time actually came, his flesh failed him, and he denied the Lord. He went against that vow that he made because he made it in his own flesh. He was relying on his own abilities, his own emotions. Our flesh, our abilities will always fall short of the perfection of the Lord. They will always fall short to what the Lord wants of us. Rather... I say, then offer up promises to God of what we will do for him. Ask him for his will in our lives. Ask him by his Holy Spirit to work in you, to empower you, and to direct your steps. Ask him to do the work. We're so incapable, we're so flawed, we fall so short. Ask him to do the work and just ask to be his vessel. That's where the real work can be done. Maybe you have in mind to Okay, maybe what you have in mind to vow to God, to vow to do, isn't even in God's will for you at all. Peter went and, like I said, he cut Malchus's ear off, and Jesus rebuked him. That's, this has to happen this way. Don't, don't step in front of this. I could save myself from this. I don't need you. You're getting ahead of me. Your vow is against my will in this situation. His ways are far greater than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. He's all-knowing. Verse 7 ends with the words, fear God. The word fear, we hear that, we fear God. So I'm, a, I'm afraid of God. Is that what that means? And I mean, we, we need to be afraid of what he's capable of. He, he, is, he is God, the creator of the universe. But this isn't that, that type of fear Though we need to acknowledge that, this, this word is, it, it, it speaks of reverence, of respect for who he is, for his might, for his majesty, of the fact that he holds the whole world in his hand. I mean, it, I fear him in the sense that I don't want to mess with that guy, but we don't have to fear our Lord. He's a Lord we can come to, but we need to have that reverence. We need to have that respect. We serve a God who created the entire universe. He knows all things. He sees all things. He works all things for his glory. He created us. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our head. He sent his only son to die, to pay the price for our sins so that we can get forgiveness. We can have forgiveness. And then, just to make it even more uh, a jab in Satan's side. He resurrected his son three days later to defeat sin and death once and for all, for you, for me, for any person who believes. He did it for all of us, and he would have done it for any one of us. He's a God so mighty, his love redeemed all of mankind. This is why we revere this is why we walk prudently. This is why we watch how we carry ourselves. 
not just in but out of here, especially in here. This is why we are mindful of what we say and what we think, keeping our focus on him. This is why we prioritize him in our minds in this place, in his presence. This is why we praise and honor and glorify him. And if you don't know him yet and you don't understand these things, let me pray with you afterwards. Give your life to him. Experience his grace. Experience his love. Get to know who he truly is. Get to know what he did for all of us, the gift that he gave to all of us. And then you will understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for all the reasons that we revere you, Lord, all the reasons to to fear and respect you, Lord, the love, the grace, your omniscience, your omnipresence, Lord. Words can't even begin to thank you enough for all of this, Lord. I praise you that you're a God big enough to orchestrate all these pieces together for good, Lord, all these things that we can't understand, all these things beyond our human comprehension, Lord. I just thank you that you are great, Lord, that you are above all else, and that I can come to you for my wisdom, for my guidance, for my strength, Lord, and for my salvation. Lord, we await the day that we get to come into your presence and spend eternal life with you, Lord, and I just pray that in this building and out of this building that we would never take our eyes off of you. In Jesus' name, amen.